Hello again, Internet. I'm Stephen Harowitz, and I will be your host for this episode of Campfire at Home, recorded here in St. Louis, Missouri. Almost every month, we gather at the campfire to hear stories about life and how we live it, from the everyday voices that live around us. Campfire at Home is how we bring that live storytelling experience to you, wherever you are. In this episode, I have something special for you, because we have stories to share from the capstone event of our Season 9 Intro to Storytelling class. These stories come from students who signed up for a class through Campfire to learn about public speaking and storytelling. And in that first class, the students come in nervous, excited, and looking around not quite knowing who each other are yet. But then they slowly get to know one another as they collectively reflect on their lives through story. They started to see the output of their training and the power and liberation of owning and sharing their narrative. And even when it got scary or their nerves crept up, they kept choosing to take on the challenge. And then there they were, on stage, in the lights, delivering some truly delightful and some truly heavy stories in their natural voices. This series of podcasts includes the five Intro to Storytelling students, Amy, Paige, Jenna, Lizzie, and Melinda, telling a story on the topic of labels. And when the event ended, beyond the hugs and smiles each storyteller got from those that had come to support them, Molly, who was their instructor this season, and myself got to say a heartfelt congratulations to five people with newfound skills in storytelling, confidence in their voice when speaking publicly, and an understanding of the power of story. Let's head to the campfire to listen to Amy's story on labels. I'm going to out outdoors everybody else. That was nothing. Um, I grew up in Alaska. Um, right? That, that always in, seems to intrigue people, clearly. And I, I wonder, having grown up there, I don't really know, I always wonder what it is that people imagine when I say that. I think they probably imagine, like, these wild-eyed people like wrapped in animal skins that get get in their fishing boats and go out on the open seas to like kill something for dinner and um, actually if you like factor in a little bit of duck dynasty and deliverance then yeah that's that's pretty much my childhood so um but Alaska is a seriously strange and amazing place like even just the natural beauty the like mountains that just start from sea level and go up, you don't see that. And amazing blue, huge blue glaciers that you can just walk right up to, or at least we used to have those. And uh, the the aurora borealis, if you've ever seen that, where the sky is just like lit up like fire. Like this, the place is ridiculous. It really, really is. And the wildlife, like it's not just in the movies. I remember as a kid, we would. If you went hiking, you always put bells on your backpack or your clothes because you you would never want to surprise a bear. So if you come over a hill, you want the bears to know you're coming because otherwise they'll pounce out and eat you. And it doesn't it doesn't get dark there in the summer. Like that's a real thing. It it's like you don't even have a clue when it is day or night, which is really cool. And because of this 24-hour growing season, like the vegetables there are huge. You, you think I'm exaggerating, but like pumpkins the size of cars. Look it up. Like that's a thing. That really is. <laughs> it really is. 
you, the truth is there's almost never a reason to exaggerate about anything in Alaska because it's that kind of place. But the strangest thing, I think, about Alaska is its people. Me, not included, but. <laughs> um, people tend to go to Alaska to get away from something. So they're either um, running from their past or maybe just running from the mundane to find adventure. Well, my mom kind of uh, fell into both of those camps. So when, um, when uh, my dad left my mom with two little kids in Southern California, she said, we're going to Alaska. Um, now, there's a saying for women in Alaska, and it is, the, um, the, the, the odds are good, but the goods are odd. <laughs> That is true. And, but that did not deter my mother. And um, so she got her master's degree in library science, and uh, she moved us to Alaska to be a librarian. And I was seven. And we made our way. We had a really nice life there. Things were good. And it wasn't all just mutant produce and the constant threat of being mauled to death. I actually, um, I actually went to high school in a pretty normal little town called Wasilla. Has anyone ever heard of Wasilla? Yeah, I have. Yeah? Um, yeah, so like any smart, small town girl, when high school ended, I just wanted to get as far away from that place as I possibly could and never look back. So that's what I did. But my strange home state sort of followed me in ways that I couldn't have imagined. I remember the day here in St. Louis when things got really weird. It was 2008. And I worked at an advertising agency in town called Rogers Townsend. Um, and everybody I worked with knew that I grew up in Alaska. It's sort of my freak badge. It sort of still is. And, um, and I went into a meeting one day, and my boss, Tim Rogers, said, hey, uh, did you hear your pal Sarah Palin was chosen by John McCain as his running mate? And I remember just being like completely shocked. And I, like, I laughed really loud in the way that you do when something's super funny and also super scary. And, um, and <laughs> it was just like that. So um, Sarah Palin was not exactly my pal. So let's go back to Wasilla and I'll fill you in. Sarah was a year older than me in high school, and we were pretty different. Um, Sarah, um, so I was, I was homecoming queen in my class, which is a, a, an honor that they'll give to any girl with all of her front teeth in Wasilla. <laughs> and, uh, and Sarah, on the other hand, was a superstar athlete. Like, her whole family was. Just muscles and strength and a jock, monumental jock. Her whole family was. Her dad was a track coach, and everyone knew them. Um, and we ran in different circles. I was never on the track, and I was never on the basketball court, and Sarah was never out drinking beer with all the cute boys. <laughs> and um, so true or not true, um, I sort of saw Sarah, Heath was her name then, I saw her as someone who I could more readily imagine her like skinning a moose by herself than I could see her behind a desk, let alone a podium. And uh, so that kind of helps you understand my surprise about the whole thing. 
And um, the one time that Sarah and I were in the same place was when we competed in the Miss Wasilla pageant. So I know, right? It's funny. And uh, <laughs> I thought so too for a while. Um, I was 17, Sarah was 18. Um, I read a poem and Sarah played her flute. Uh, we both paraded across the stage in skimpy bathing suits and fancy gowns. And uh, um, Sarah was kind of emerging as more girly at that point. And uh, I did this pageant completely on a lark. Like, I'm going thousands of miles away from here. No one's ever going to remember this. I can do any embarrassing thing, and no one's going to know. But I was wrong about that. Um, so um, flash forward to St. Louis, 2008. And the night of the McCain-Palin ticket announcement, I was like on the phone with my mom just cracking up about how funny this was. And um, I got off the phone with my mom and hung up, and my phone rang. And uh, a woman, I picked it up, and a woman introduced herself as Deb Peterson from the Post-Dispatch. And Deb Peterson was a gossip columnist for the paper, which is, I, I can't recall whether she let me in on that detail. Um, but um, remember, this was a night that a good part of the news media machine of the entire country was looking for something, anything about this mysterious Alaskan Sarah Palin who had been chosen by McCain. And Deb Peterson found out from a friend of hers, who was a friend of mine, who I think might be here tonight, who that, um, <laughs> that, um, that a, a classmate of Sarah's was right here in town. Like, what a deal. And uh, so, you'll, as you'll hear, this call with me and Deb Peterson was a mess, at least for me. It was a, a regrettable mess for me, but a bit of a bonanza for her. Years later, by the way, I saw Deb Peterson at a party, and we'd never met in person. I knew who she was. And uh, there was a big swimming pool at this party, and I harbored a little anger, <laughs> and um, which you'll understand. But, um, and I stood by her at this party, and she didn't know who I was, and I had it all planned out. Like, I pictured how it would go when I, when she went flying backward, and her drink was in the air, and her hair was going. <laughs> and she was, like, pleading with me desperately as she, like, flew back and splashed, and everyone laughed at her. <laughs> but I didn't actually push her in, and I still really, really wish I had. But I <laughs> Because Deb taught me what... A, a good gossip columnist does, right? She did her job really wonderfully, and I, unwittingly, even though I'd been in the news media and should have known better, like, I just was a gossip starter's dream. So um, the night that she called me, she said, hey, could you just answer a few questions about Sarah in your hometown? I'm like, okay, I'll try. So the conversation went like this. Deb, so how... How well did you know Sarah? Oh, not well. I mean, we weren't even in the same grade. We weren't friends. I didn't really know her. So what did you think of Sarah? Oh, everyone knew the Heath family. Like, they were well known. I, but I, you know, I really only knew them by reputation. I didn't know them. So the conversation, the questions went along those lines. And then, and then this is where it kind of went off the rails. Um, Deb said, so. Amy, do you think that you will vote for Sarah Palin because she comes from your hometown? And I said, you know, I, I really don't think I would 
I would vote for her even if I knew her well, which I don't, um, because I just don't agree with her politics. And Deb said, so um, do you think Sarah will take away the women vote from Hillary Clinton because she's a woman? You know, I said, I, I'd be surprised because if you look at you know the resume and experience of Hillary Clinton, I think Sarah's experience looks pretty shallow. So the conversation wrapped up and I apologized for having nothing much of value to offer and that was it. And um, the next morning a friend called me and said, you should maybe look at the Post-Dispatch. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I looked at the column and it said, it quoted me, a, um, a classmate of Sarah Palin's quote, I wouldn't vote for Sarah Palin if she was my best friend because I don't like her politics and she's very shallow. <laughs> it gets worse. So during, during our friendly chat, Deb Peterson had asked me about the Miss Wasilla pageant. And I, you know, I didn't remember it well, but I remembered that Sarah had won. Uh, Deb asked me if I placed. And I remembered I'd had my picture in the paper, so I said, you know, I... Um, I think I might have won Miss Congeniality or something. I don't know. But what uh, Sneaky Deb didn't tell me is that Miss is that Sarah Palin's Wikipedia page clearly said that she had won Miss Congeniality in that pageant. <laughs> and after a quick check of the facts, I cleared up that she had, in fact, won that, and as well as the Miss Wasilla crown. But Deb made a point in her article to say there was a conflict over who actually won this illustrious congeniality. So um, even though I, I asked, I complained, and Deb Peterson ran a correction that no one saw like a week later, even still, this really spicy controversy really started a firestorm over who exactly was the most congenial in this. <laughs> in this little town in Alaska in 1984. Like, um, my quotes, um, often tweaked for dramatic effect, were picked up by blogs all over the country. You can still find them. Um, some of those blogs were read by hundreds of thousands of people, and uh, most of the posts were followed by comments, dozens and dozens of them, people talking about what a despicable, horrible liar Sarah Palin was. Um, now remember, this was 10 years ago, so this was before Donald Trump, this was before uh, kind of pseudo-realities being created in every direction. It was my introduction to just how hungry people were for just whatever little scrap of thing they could find to use uh, against their, their opponents, whether true or not true. Now this seems kind of uh, normal now, sadly, but at the time it was really, really uh, unsettling and disorienting for me. Um, it took months for this to die down. I got called by factchecker.com and the LA Times. When Sarah was here at WashU for the debates, I got called by a, a producer at CNN. Um, and I, of course, never spoke to anyone in the media again. I know that this story is funny now, and it's funny to me now, kind of, but Honestly, at the time, it was really, really painful for me. It was something I could barely talk about. I got pulled into a kind of high school mean girls scenario that I never would have asked for. I, once I was in it, there was no getting out of it. Um, I'm no, 
I'm no Monica Lewinsky, but I know what it feels like to have your name just pulled into an ugly story that you can't control, to be you know, misquoted and mischaracterized. It feels, it feels really, really dirty. Uh, it's hard to get through. Um, so I want to just kind of ask something of all of you. Um, sadly, today, with all of our ability to make content and comments, every single one of us has the power to be a gossip columnist or to embolden someone else who is being a gossip columnist. I ask you not to uh, just buy into every salacious or sensational little nugget that supports the narrative that you want to be true um, because it is nothing but gossip. Um, I, uh, and I also suggest that you don't do anything in your life that you just believe people will conveniently forget because it's probably that thing that will make you famous. <laughs> and, um, but if you ever find yourself more famous than you would like, I hear there are still some really great places to hide in Alaska. <laughs> and that is a wrap. You can make sure to hear the other episodes from our Season 9 Intro to Storytelling graduates by subscribing to Campfire at Home wherever you get your podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, please leave a review on your podcast listening platform of choice. You probably hear it all the time, but it really does help others find our podcast, and it supports our students. If you're in the St. Louis area, we'd love to have you come out to an event or take a class. You can visit campfire.com, that's C-M-P-F-R.com, for all of the details. And for those of you that don't live in St. Louis who just want to know more about the work we do here at Campfire, you can also visit our website at campfire.com, that's C-M-P-F-R.com. As always, a big thank you to the Campfire team. Mariah, Ethan, Gabriella, Molly, and Jess, our photographer, Sarah Wilson, our videographer and podcast producer, Jeff Allen, and the home for our classes, Tech Artista. Tonight's stories were recorded live at the Focal Point in Maplewood, Missouri. Thanks for listening to Campfire at Home. I've been your host, Stephen Harowitz. Until next time. Mm-hmm.